Good morning. I'm really glad that you made it. I'm really glad that you're here. Thanks for visiting. If you're new to City Church and if you're a member, if you're part of this family, we are so glad to be together this morning. Thanks for making space in your day to gather to worship. And I'm really, really glad that you're here, not just because I want somebody to talk to, even though I want somebody to talk to for sure. Uh, that's true, but it's it's more than that. It's, it's because I believe that God has something for you in this passage that we're covering this morning. I think that God has something for you. And that's actually my prayer. My hope this morning is that you would hear from God and not from me, that you hear from his word, you hear from him, uh, from his spirit this morning, not from me. What we're doing as a church is we're taking these glimpses at Jesus through the gospel of John in the weeks leading up to Easter. And, uh, and, and it's really kind of this sweet thing that John wrote into his gospel in John 20, verse 31. He said, I wrote this whole thing just so you could get a glimpse of Jesus and believe in him and in believing that you have life in his name, eternal life. 17 times over these 21 chapters, John is just beating the drum of eternal life. And, uh, and that's our hope is that you would see Jesus, see him for who he is, that you'd believe in him. That's, that belief is a whole life trust you put it into the hands of Jesus. And so today we're going to be in John chapter 11, verse, verses 17, verse 17 is where we're going to start. But what we're going to see is we're going to see how Jesus invades the painful present reality of a group of people. He's going to invade their painful present reality with resurrection power. That's what we're going to see this morning. And that's why I believe that there's something in this for you is because our whole world is actually experiencing a painful present reality right now, is it not? Nations have, uh, are, are tottering, financial markets are destabilized, families are in mourning, individuals are living in isolation, people are getting sick and they are dying. And so the world is in a painful present reality, but it's also your world that's likely experiencing a painful present reality. Even if it's simply your daily rhythms have been disrupted, that, what I read this week is that it's actually a grid for life that you have in those rhythms. And when they get disrupted, un, un, uh, upended without your permission, it is disorienting to you in a deep, significant way. And all of these things, the small and the big, they create grief in us. That's what you're experiencing is grief, a sadness, a pain. And I think for a lot of people in Fort Worth right now, it's what David Kessler, who's like a foremost expert on grief, he, he would say that's anticipatory grief, something that could be coming, that you expect to be coming, that's going to hurt and harm you and your family. And so you and the world, we're living in this painful present reality. And so today I'm desperate for you to see how Jesus can invade that present reality. He's gonna, rea he's gonna invade it with resurrection power and that resurrection power has the promise. It holds the promise for future hope for you. And I'm, I'm going to preach my heart out these days. I'm just going to preach my heart out. Not because I think there is a greater need for the gospel right now. Actually, I, I think the need for the gospel is the same as it has always been. But what is true is that our realization, the world's realization of its need for a better gospel, a deeper hope, is actually in play right now. And so I'm going to preach my heart out, praying that the weak foundations of people's worship that are fracturing under, under the weight of this moment, that they would be rebuilt on something better. And so this morning, I believe Jesus wants to invade our painful present reality with resurrection power. 
And so the context in John 11 that we're jumping into is actually this moment when Jesus' ministry and teaching had been causing a huge stir. It had been really frustrating and angering the religious leaders of the day. And they were looking for a chance to kill Jesus because they hated him and they hated what he was saying. And so Jesus had removed him and his disciples out away from some of the heat out towards the countryside. And while they were out there, they got a message. They got a message about a guy that Jesus loves who's sick and he's dying. He's sick and he's in a real bad way. And this guy was actually the brother of two women who show up elsewhere in the scriptures. This guy's name is Lazarus and his sister's names are Mary and Martha. And so you, if you've been around the Bible at all, you've probably heard of them. And these are women that, that love Jesus and Jesus loves them. These are important people to Jesus. But they get this news that he's sick and he responds and he just tells his guys, hey, the sickness he has is all actually about God getting glorified. And so it's not going to lead to his death. And then he, he sits and he... It says, because he loved them, he waits for two days. And then he tells his disciples, okay, it's time to go. And, uh, and they're like, well, I thought, he was, I thought it wasn't that bad, you know? Because uh, they know that if they head towards Jerusalem, somebody's getting killed. It's going to cost Jesus his life to go save the life of his friend. And they're like, if he's not that sick, maybe we should just stay here. And Jesus breaks it down for him. He's like, no, he's, he's actually dead, but I'm going to go bring him back to life. And so his disciples are like, okay, we're doing this. Let's ride. And they, they head toward Jerusalem knowing that problems and that uh, uh, Jesus, ultimately Jesus' death is waiting for them on the other side of it, but they go. And so pick it up in uh, verse 17. It says, Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been dead, been in the tomb for four days. Been dead for four days. And so he gets there, and this guy that he came to heal, that's what, that's what at least what Mary and Martha are thinking. They're like, he's, he's been dead for four days. Jesus, where have you been? And what I want you to see is that Jesus is never late. You might be experiencing a painful present reality right now. I'm sure, I'd actually bet that you are. And we might be wondering where Jesus is at, but I want you to know that he's never late. It's an uncomfortable reality because, especially for if you think about Lazarus and his sisters, this is a super uncomfortable reality that Jesus is, uh, got there exactly when he intended to get there. These two sisters have been fighting to keep their brother alive, and fi fighting for days to keep him alive, and the one hope that they had was in Jesus, who they knew could heal him. And they were just sitting there trying to keep him, keep him comfortable, maybe keep him taking fluids in, somehow keep him from dying with an eye on the road waiting for Jesus to show up, and he never did. He ghosts them just when they need him the most. And then after they'd buried him, here comes Jesus walking into town. And what you got to know about his delay in coming is that it wasn't a deficiency in love for them. Over and again, it tells you how much he loves them. But there's something that Jesus loves over and above everything, which is the glory of God. That's what he says. Is he's actually saying to his disciples, hey, it's, it's for your good that, you, that we wait and see, uh, wait two days before we leave because Lazarus is going to be dead and you're going to see something that's going to show you the glory of God and it's going to help you believe in me. He wants us to see God's glory. What is it about God's glory? Is it just because God's insecure and he needs us to think highly of him? No, God's glory is his value and his worth. In a human beings, what happened to us is our souls got separated uh, when, we, when our worship got separated from God, our worship got uh, directed towards lesser gods. It actually fractured our relationship with the giver of life. 
so it brought death to us. So Jesus wants to restore our worship. He wants everyone to live. And so he wants us to see the glory of God. Lazarus, four days, has been dead. Four days that these sisters have been heartbroken, probably confused um, where Jesus is. And there's something else that's significant about the four days, which is that uh, just kind of in Jewish folklore, there was this idea that the spirit of somebody would hang around the body for three days after somebody died. And then once it saw them decomposing, then it would move on. And so what Jesus does is make sure there's no superstitious question around how it is that Lazarus is going to come back from the dead. He's making sure everybody knows that that man is dead. And it's not some magic trick. David Blaine actually came out with a new special this week, and I'm, I'm fascinated by that guy. I mean, you've been watching. He's, it's doing, he's doing crazy stuff. Uh, it's so fascinating. But the reason he's doing the tricks are just for fun. Jesus isn't doing a trick. He's actually going to exert power to raise somebody from the dead. And it's not just for fun. It's for God's glory so that we might see the value and the worth of who God is. And so continue on verse 18. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. And many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning, uh, console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. And so Martha runs out to Jesus. And what she's doing, she's actually breaking a rule, which is a big deal to Martha because she's the, much more the type A kind of person. Her sister Mary would be more likely to run, kind of break this rule. The rule would be this 30-day mourning period where you stay in the house after, after one of your family members dies to grieve. And so uh, she, she leaves this sort of quarantine, which a lot of you, I'm sure, are feeling. You're like, I just want to get out of the house. Well, Martha, she doesn't want to get out of the house. She wants to sit there and cry and, and grieve her brother. But she hears that Jesus is coming and she runs to him. And what she does actually reflects what I think is true for so many of us. We see Jesus correctly, but we don't see him completely. What she sees and knows about Jesus is correct. It's just not complete. See what I mean? She said, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. There's faith there. She, she's saying, I know that you could have stopped this. I don't care what the disease was. It didn't stand a chance against you if you got here before he died. That's faith, and it's correct. It's just not complete. And she tries to cover up. I think she's trying to cover up any kind of frustration that might have come through in those words when she says, but even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. I think she's saying that but I don't think she believes it. She's saying something that's true, that she, she knows is true, wants it to be true, but it's just not really true for her right now. Why do I say that? Why do I think that she doesn't really mean what she said there? Because in verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. God will give me anything. How about this? Your brother's going to rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And I think what she's doing is she's responding with orthodox doctrine, something that's true. She's like, okay, Jesus, I know. Thanks for the pat on the back. Yes, one day all out there in the future, all this is going to be made right. But you got to see this about Jesus. He's not just about one day. He's about today. And so it's like we're trying, I think, sometimes to, to help make Jesus right. Like, hey, let me, let me kind of just tone that down a little bit, Jesus, so that you're not embarrassed, I'm not embarrassed. I don't want to bet on you too much. 
I don't want to lean on you too hard just in case you can't hold me up. Just in case you're not as good as you said you are. I think we do this sometimes when we pray that God's will would be done. Would you heal this person if it's your will? You know, I think I, I get it. I get the correct theology in it. We want to ask for God's will to be done above all things. But I want to bet on God that He can do that. I want to ask straight up, will you heal this person? Will you fix that marriage? Will you give them a job? Will you provide, God? Because I know who you are. I want to pray like that. I want to believe in Jesus like that. I don't want to just have correct belief. I want to have complete belief in Jesus. I don't want to put him in a box. And what Jesus does just now in this next verse is he's going to destroy any kind of box that you want to put him in. He's going to destroy any kind of attempt to make him just a palatable, nice teacher from Israel. Some kind of tame, nice guy who loves everybody. Here's what he says in verse 25. Jesus said to her, after she said, I know know he's going to be resurrected from the dead one day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He looks at her and he doesn't just say, well, I'm going to resurrect him one day. He says, I am the resurrection. I'm not some good teacher. I am the solution. And you see, Jesus doesn't just do stuff. He is stuff. He's not just the resurrector. He is the resurrection. What does that mean? He says, though you die, you will live. Even if you die, no matter what you get, no matter what harm comes to your body, your body in Christ, if you believe in Him, it will not stay dead. That's the promise Jesus is making. That no matter what you do, you could burn me, you could disintegrate me, you could give me the worst of diseases, and one day, no matter how hard death tries, my body's going to come out of that grave. Your body might die, but it won't stay that way. And also what's true is that without Jesus, death will one day reign over you no matter who you are, no matter how healthy you are. And he says, I'm the resurrection and the life. Everyone who lives and believes in me won't experience death. There's actually people walking around spiritually dead right now. And Jesus is saying, when you believe in me, you've passed from judgment, passed through judgment from death into life. No matter what, you will always live. And do you see what Jesus does in this moment of grief, in this moment of pain, a painful present reality like many of you are walking through right now? What he does is he makes himself the focus. It's this thing that makes Jesus like nobody else, or at least nobody else you want to be around. Because if it's not true, then it's crazy. He makes himself the focal point, the solution to your painful present reality. He says, it's me. I'm the resurrection and the life. Look to me, come to me, I'm what you need. That's a pretty big claim, and you better be able to back it up. So let's see what Jesus does. Right after that, Martha leaves, and she goes back into the house, and she sends Mary out to talk to Jesus. And Mary gets there, and she says the same thing as Martha. She gets out there, and man, Mary is just crushed by grief. She's out there, and she said, Jesus, if you had come, he wouldn't have died. And then she just gets crushed by it. the idea, maybe just a memory of her brother or something that's kind of coming back to her. I just wish he wouldn't have died. She's overcome with grief in that moment. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, it said he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And they said, Lord, come and see. And then these two short words, Jesus wept. 
And I think his weeping has made us uh, kind of connotate this whole passage, kind of put over it this very sad kind of uh, weepy. I mean, he's, he's weeping, so there's a reason why. But there's a, there's a problem with the translation in this that very few translations get, I think, the original kind of heart here. When he's deeply moved in spirit and greatly troubled, he is not sad. He is angry. He's angry. Jesus is fuming about this. He sees death and what it's doing to his friends. He sees the impact of this enemy and he hates it. He becomes like a war horse whose nostrils are flaring, who's kind of sitting there charged, ready to charge and take out an enemy. And so then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave and a stone lay against it. And so it's, about, it's like Jesus is about to step into the ring. It's like this fighter who's ready to lay into an enemy, about to step into the ring. And there's a lot of wartime language that's happening these days for good reason. Mankind is warring against a virus, and so we're all kind of in a wartime state, which is a new thing for a lot of people who are alive right now who haven't walked through an actual wartime experience. But I got to tell you, we were already at war before COVID-19. Before any coronavirus showed up, we were at war. Not with other people. We're at war with death. That's the only reason COVID-19 has any threat to offer is because it could lead to death because people are dying. And so death is our enemy. Death is who Jesus is going after. Death is who Jesus is stepping in the ring with right now. Verse 39, Jesus said, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor for he has been dead for four days. So you see, she's wanting to believe. She's wanting to come with him on this. But reality, her painful present reality is just so big in her eyes. She can't see anything else. She's like, Jesus, I know that you could have saved him from dying, but he's going to stink now and this is going to be disgusting. I don't want to see my brother like that. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? You see how kind Jesus is to doubters. For those of you whose hearts are lagging behind whose painful present realities are really big in your eyes and Jesus is really small. He's not mad at you, but he is telling you that belief in him is going to lead you to see the glory of God. So come with him. He doesn't even shut down the miracle. He's not like, all right, well, Martha, I was going to do this, but now I'm out because you didn't believe. He kind of presses through it. He wants her and he wants us to see that he doesn't, ju doesn't just have the power to hold back death. He isn't just a death restrainer. He is a death undoer. Do you believe that? Do you see that? He doesn't just have the power to stop death or to maybe just temporary hold, temporarily hold it back. He has the power to undo it all together. And so here's this moment of glory. Come on now. Verse 41, it says, So they took away the stone and Jesus lifted up his eyes and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but, on, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. He's praying publicly. So he's praying. He's like, Dad, I know we don't usually talk like this, but I'm going to say it so they all know that we're together on this deal. When he said this thing, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. And just like that, Jesus did this thing that the world right now is longing for somebody to step in and do right now. 
Don't you know that the world is longing for somebody to walk through hospitals and say, stand up, get out, unbind them, take them out of their coffins, take them out of their graves, get them out and let them go. Just like that, he does it. And here's the truth. If he hadn't specified Lazarus, every tomb in Jerusalem would have emptied out the dead. But here's the question for you now. Like, we're, we're here. This was a long time ago. What does the resurrection of some other guy have to do with me? Here's the deal. With Lazarus, Jesus was showing his power over death. His power over death. Uh, it was a picture of Jesus' ability to invade the painful present of one family. But it isn't Lazarus' Lazarus' resurrection that we're ultimately going to celebrate next week. Because it's, it's not... Lazarus, it's, it's Jesus' resurrection. Lazarus gave us a preview of Jesus invading somebody's painful present reality. But Lazarus would die again. Jesus would be resurrected and he would never die again. With his own death and resurrection, he triumphed over death once and for all. The enemy who holds a threat against us has been totally defanged. And so your present Reality likely includes some grief, pain of some kind. I know that it does. I want to meet you in that. I want to tell you this, that I think the way that at least David Kessler, this grief expert, talks about it, he says we're the first generation who, who has feelings about our feelings. So you're, you're feeling grief, and now we have feelings on top of that. He says one unfortunate byproduct of the self-help movement is that we're the first generation to have feelings about our feelings. We tell our things like, I feel, I feel sad, but I shouldn't feel that. Or I feel guilty about feeling scared. Here's what I want you to do in your painful present reality. I want you to respond to Jesus in a way that he is inviting Mary and Martha to, making himself the solution to your problem. Don't feel bad about your feelings. Take your feelings to Jesus. Would you bring your feelings to Jesus? Would you bring your fears to him? Would you bring an honest truth about where you're at in the painful present reality? Would you just bring it to him as is? You don't have to add any religious platitudes. Stop doing that. Jesus isn't fooled by it. You're not actually fooled by it. Everybody knows that you're not really there and that's okay. Come to him where, however you are. Come to him. There is grace for your failures. Maybe you're not coming to Jesus. Maybe you're, he's not the solution to your painful present reality because you think that you've screwed up too much, you've failed too many times, that you've blew it just enough with the same thing over and over again. He's got grace for your failures and he's got strength for your pain. And here's the truth is he's in the fire with you. He's in the fire with us. He's walking these streets with us. He's stuck in your house with you. Isaiah 41 says, fear not. Why? For I am with you. And God has never been more with us than in Jesus. And now his spirit is moving amongst us, living in us. He is with you. In the gospel, Jesus has said, my life for yours. Ultimately, he went and he died your death. And then he was raised from the dead, promising you that that payment is complete and that your resurrection will be with him. He's made good on it. He's already come out. He's seated and it's finished. There is, listen to me, there is a future reality where all tears and all pain are banished. Jesus has said, my life for yours. And now let go of your life and take on his and walk in this moment, painful present reality. Let Jesus come alongside you in that.
Let him meet you there. Let him give you healing for your pain. Let him give you grace for your failures. Let him meet your fears head first alongside of you. He is the resurrection and the life. And now there's, there's a, this power and promise that future reality can come to bear on you right now. That power and promise of a future reality can come to bear on your life right now. That's what this passage is all about, is not being content to let Jesus live somewhere off in the future. Don't keep him somewhere off in the future. Let him now invade your present reality. And I believe he can come now. And and that's how I want to end this, is I want to spend a moment just praying with you. Would you pray with me for that? We're going to pray two things. Uh, Would he come into hospitals now? Would he come into homes right now? So let's pray. King Jesus, I know this is true, that you can come into hospitals that are being overrun, into these healthcare clinics, into places where the sick are running and coming into. God, I know that you can go into them and you can defeat viruses, the ones that we know about and the ones that we don't. So would you just show, would you just flex your strength and neutralize this entire thing? You can clear out entire wings of hospitals just with your words. You've done it before, Jesus. You have healed so many before. Would you heal them now? Would you do it again? We're going to let you tell us no on this because we believe you can do it. And then, Jesus, would you do this too? Would you invade homes right now? The homes of the people who are listening to this. You can free those who are trapped in addiction. You can resurrect relationships that are all but dead or maybe they've been dead for a while. You can clear out the fog of fear and anxiety. You can do that, Jesus. Would you move into homes now in power? Would you break down walls and doors to get in there? And and would you bring life with you? Would you invade the present reality of my friends? And Jesus, I'm praying for miracles to break through pain, suffering, and grief in these moments, but not just so we can get another few decades in of this life. We want you to do this so we can see you for who you are, the resurrection and the life. Holy Spirit, would you help us take another step and another step and another step with you? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.